All right, it's game week, guys, and uh, this is a Louisiana football team coming into Ames on Saturday that not a lot of people know a ton about. I'll tell you a guy who does know a lot about him. He's the longtime play-by-play voice of the Ragin' Cajuns. His name is Jay Walker, and on Wednesday morning, I had a chance to sit down and, and talk talk some football with Jay Walker, the longtime play-by-play voice of the Ragin' Cajuns. Uh, get the scoop on Iowa State's season opener. And also, I always like to pick the brain of these guys to see what their interpretation is of the Cyclones, right? They're not wearing the cardinal and gold color glasses. What does he think about Iowa State? Enjoy this interview with Jay Walker, the play-by-play voice of the Raging Cajuns here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. All right, well, uh, first of all, Mr. Walker, you have been the play-by-play voice of the Raging Cajuns. What, since 1991? Is that what uh, Patrick uh, told me? Is that a, is that a correct year? Uh, 92 was actually oh. the first year, so this will be this will be my 29th football season. Wow. You've seen a lot of change in uh, so, but 29th football season, but last year was the best one, right? I mean, uh, record uh, in wins for the Raging Cajuns and a lot of uh, optimism as, as I've been studying up on the team heading into the 2020 season. Uh, they were a good football team last year. Uh, you know, they, they lost three games, uh, one to an SEC school, and the other two were to a ranked school in Appalachian State. Uh, all of the other games, that the, the, the 10 games that they won, all but one was by double digits. And so it was, it was a good football team. Um, Coach Napier says he thinks they can be better this year. Uh, whether that'll happen or not remains to be seen, but I, I think they feel like they've got another good football team. Well, it certainly seems like it. And, uh, you know, similar to Iowa State, you've got a elite quarterback coming back, and that's just a, a great place to start. And, of course, that's Levi Lewis, the, the senior, who put up all sorts of gaudy statistics as a junior. But, man, that what a what a great building block for Louisiana. I, I think he uh, – there are a lot of good quarterbacks in the Big 12, but I, I feel like – Levi Lewis is right up there. I, Iowa State will see one of the better quarterbacks in the country in, in week one. Would you agree? Well, I think if, if Levi were like four inches taller, he might be playing in the Big 12 or he might be playing in the Southeastern Conference. You know, the reason that he's at Louisiana is because of his size. He's about 5'10 and a half and about 184 pounds. But, um, but he's a smart kid. He's a filmaholic. Uh, he doesn't make very many mistakes. He makes very good decisions. And uh, because of that, uh, he had a great year last year. But I'll tell you, it's kind of funny because the fan base here didn't think he was going to be the quarterback and didn't think he should be the quarterback. And they were suggesting somebody else might be starting by week three. um, And all of those guys are still wiping egg off their face right now. Yeah, no doubt about that. I mean, there's some... Just really impressive numbers that he put up. And he's got a pair of running backs. This is a unique thing about the the Raging Cajuns, Jay, is the the running back situation. Explain this to me. So you've got two guys who, uh, you know, Mitchell's kind of the lead back, Elijah Mitchell. But there's, there's two guys who get a bunch of carries. How are they alike and how are they different from one another? You know, it was interesting because last year you had three guys who were getting the carries. You know, Raymond Kale, uh is now with the, uh, with the Los Angeles Rams, and uh, he was the, quote, third back, unquote, and he had over 700 yards rushing last year. And they're going to use three guys again this year. Hmm. Um, 
Elijah is uh, is different from Regis in that Regis is one of those guys that you are not going to bring him down on the first hit. He he does a very good job of dragging people with him and breaking tackles. Uh, Mitchell is faster. Mitchell is the better pass receiver, uh, and and you know he's he's a guy that can go one cut and then go, and so they are different, um, but they're going to, they're going to get used in a lot of the same ways, uh, with exception of the fact that Mitchell would would catch more passes. There is a third guy. His name is Chris Smith. He's a sophomore. And he is expected to kind of be the third guy replacing Kale. He's the guy who's going to be on kick returns. Kale was a kick returner for four years. Um, this guy's got blazing speed. And he had, um, he had, as the fourth back last year, he had two touchdown runs over 80 yards. Hmm. That's impressive. Yeah, that, that's a really impressive group of running backs for the Raging Cajuns. Talk to me about wide receiver, because I know that the, the wide receiver room seems to be a bit injury riddled. Um, there's been some, um, you know, just stuff going on there. And uh, that that seems to me, Mr. Walker, like that is probably the biggest question mark on Louisiana's offense going into the season. I know you lost some on the offensive line, but it seems like there's some experience and some guys to plug in is is that an accurate assumption um, of this Louisiana football team that a little more question at wide receiver? I think that would have been the biggest question on offense, even without the injuries. Okay. Because you lost your Marcus Bradley, who was an all conference guy. And then Bam Jackson played a lot of, uh, a lot of football for the Cajuns as well. But then you had four guys who played for the Cajuns last year, who saw playing time, who caught some passes, Four guys are out for the year. So you've got now two guys with experience. Peter LeBlanc will uh, line up on one side, Jalen Williams on the other. And then after that, they're all rookies. Now, Coach Napier likes his freshman receivers a lot. And he actually told me that he thinks top to bottom, there's maybe more talent in the wide receiver core on this team than on his previous two teams. But what they don't have is experience. Dante Fleming, I think, is going to be the uh, freshman who starts uh, in the game on Saturday. Uh, he's been the most impressive this fall. But you probably have three, maybe four other freshmen who are going to play at the wide receiver spot on Saturday. Well, that's exciting for fans, at least. I mean, you'd, you'd rather have your other guys. But I, that's one of my favorite things, uh, Jay, about the season opener is watching the the – uh, the young guys get out there for the first time. Well, let's go to defense where uh, th- this is where um, I, I don't know as much about this Louisiana football team. Uh, I've read a lot about Joe Dillon, the, the stud linebacker, the all Sunbelt player. Um, there, there's some pieces here. What are you, uh, just as a whole, um, how, how are Louisiana fans looking at the defensive roster heading into the 2020 opener? I honestly think this is going to has to it has the potential to be the best front seven that we've had in many years. Um, you know, you, you, you mentioned Joe Dillon; he was a second team All Conference guy last year, and he didn't even start. Yeah, um, he he had missed the year before with a, a hip injury, and they honestly didn't think he was going to be able to play any more football. And he he came off the bench last year because he wasn't able to go 50, 60 snaps. Um, 
But I, you know, the the three guys in the three four defense, the three guys up front, Kalen Humphrey, Zion Hill, and uh, and Andre Jones are all pretty good football players, and then the outside backers are pretty good too. They like the front seven a bunch, and um, it's it's a physical bunch. Uh, they're they had good success getting after the quarterback a year ago, and most of those guys are back, and and they've even added a piece with Humphrey. So, I honestly think the front seven is probably as good as Louisiana's had in a while. Schematically, will they will they line up in a three four? I mean, I mean prior, primarily. I mean, because Iowa State does that, but then last year we saw them go with the four man front a little bit more and start to mix things up. What is um, what is defensive coordinator Patrick Tony's preference when it comes to that? Is it is it exclusively a three four? Well, we're going to find out because this is Tony's first year as the defensive coordinator. Um, you know they. In the past, with Ron Roberts, who's now the defensive coordinator at Baylor, so you're going to get a, okay. an opportunity to know that's him. New to me. There you um, go. Thank you for that. Yeah, that's good information. They um, they, they played primarily the three four, although from time to time they take the same guy and 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 put him with his hand down. Okay, so occasionally yeah. they run a four man front, but with the same personnel. Yep. Now, one thing that you will see them do. Uh, and their nickel package, they'll go with a guy that they call the uh, the star position, which is the fifth defensive back, and he'll replace one of the outside backers when they when they play the the, the five man secondary. Uh, Jay Walker's the play by play voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns will be in Ames on Saturday with an eleven a.m. kickoff to uh, launch the two thousand and twenty season for. Both of these rosters, again, Louisiana won 11 games last year. They're uh, picked to win the Sun Belt this year. Um, Jay, how has just the, the offseason gone? It, it's so you, You've been around this game a long time. I've been doing this for 15 years, uh, about half of what you have. But, like, I, I'm finding it really difficult, even a team like Iowa State that I know so well, to have uh, strong – opinions either way really on anything because of just how different this offseason has been um how do you think billy napier's staff and you know this roster has been able to you know kind of adapt all the the differences in the offseason compared to years prior i think it starts with billy um he is a guy who stays pretty even keel all the time you know, if you if you talk to, to his team, they're going to tell you he very seldom yells at them. You know, he he and, and he very seldom, you know, goes crazy with happiness. It's never too high, never too low. And I think he took a very methodical approach once they realized what was happening. Once they realized after three practices, there was going to be no more spring practice. And then they came up with the plan as to how they were going to bring the team back to campus and how they were going to do training camp. You know, every football team that's playing this fall had to go through it. And, and I'm sure that every staff handled their business a little bit differently. Now here's something that Billy Napier had to do that the rest of the coaches Mm. didn't have to do. And that was bury an assistant coach. Yeah. Because you had DJ Looney, one of the offensive line coaches, who collapsed and died of a heart attack at age 31, you know, just a, just about a month ago, and so that yeah. added to all of the rest of the uniqueness. It has been it has been one heck of an off season 
for this football program. And now, of course, you're dealing with the same thing now that everybody else is dealing with. It's trying to trying to keep your players in a bubble, uh, testing them constantly, making sure that they're COVID free, and getting ready, you know, to 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 make a road trip that's going to be unlike any road trip they've ever made um, because things are different now. And but Billy has handled it well because he's such an even keel guy. And as a result, I don't think his players ever got spooked. I think that, you know, he, he was okay. Here's how we're going to handle our business. And they said, okay, here's how we're going to handle our business. Yeah. I was going to mention that and uh, give condolences to everybody, the Louisiana program with the, the passing of coach Looney. That's, that's tough. Well, we had that happen up here with um, coach Curtis Bray uh, about five, well, six, seven years ago. And um, that's just a, that's a really tough thing for for young people to to go through when you spend so much time together. That is, um, I, I mean, all things considered, um, Jay, how, how you know how 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 was that handled? I mean, that not in a how are the young people doing? I guess is what I'm what I'm getting to after the you know 31 years old. That that is uh, that's not very old. That that has to be something that will stick with these young people for a while. You know, and um, and it wasn't it wasn't just the football team. I mean, this coaching staff was rocked mm. uh, by the loss. I had uh, I had an invitation to go to the memorial service, and and I went and. I listened to uh, to Coach Sale, the offensive coordinator, and uh, Coach Jaluk, the running backs coach, and then Coach Napier, and they all had trouble getting through their remarks. They were so so distraught over what had happened. But what they did, you know, they what do you do? You talk about it. Yeah. You know, you 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 ask questions. You give answers. You get grief counselors to come, and of course, all of this was done virtually via Zoom for the most part. Yeah. Um, but you, you know, you help them in any way you can. Uh, and this affected not just the offensive line. I mean, this, this guy was everywhere. He was very involved with special teams and he was one of those people that always was upbeat, never had a bad day. And he, you know, he came up to me last year at the, at the football banquet and he, and he clapped me on the shoulder and he said, brother Jay, he said, man, you right up there with Jack Crystal. Now, Jack Crystal did Mississippi State football for about 60 years. And I looked at him and I said, coach, they named a highway after that man. <laughs> and he looked, at me, he looked at me and he clapped me on the shoulder and he said, just a matter of time, dog, just a matter of time. <laughs> and, but that's the kind of guy he was. Yeah, and, that's special. It's, um, it, it, and, and so obviously the season's going to be dedicated to him. And um, I know that these guys are – are going to go out and, and try to do their very best each week. And, and they always do that, but now they have even more of a reason to. No doubt. Um, I, one of the things I, I enjoy doing when I get to talk to play-by-play guys like yourself is just getting their interpretation on Iowa State. Now, this is very unique. I mean, I, I'm sure you're a lot like me. Uh, you like to start doing prep on, on the – Cajun schedule very on very early on in the process um I was I was ready for UNLV and South Dakota in the non-conference of course Iowa as well I I wasn't expecting the raging Cajuns to be coming to town so I've been kind of cramming on this uh really impressive Sunbelt program um what what has the reaction been to a road trip to Ames and what is your early 
look at the Iowa State Cyclones look like? You know, a lot of times fans will just go by a name, okay? You know, in, in the Big 12, who do you think about? You think about Oklahoma, you think about Texas, uh, you think about Oklahoma State. And a lot of times to the average fan that's down here in the Deep South, you know, they, they don't react much to Iowa State. And what those folks don't realize is that, and this is one of the things I love about the matchup, I think you have two young rock star head football coaches that yeah. are going to that are going to do battle against each other. And, you know, Matt has done such a great job at Iowa State, and I think that they are on the precipice of, of being right there with Oklahoma as the, as the dominant team uh, in the league. You know, you, you look at the fact that you've got uh, a guy who, you know, we're, we're real proud of Levi down here, and then you look at what Brock Purdy did, and you go, oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and they've got a running game to go with it. And the interesting thing, I think, about Iowa State is, from what I've been able to gather, people that I've talked to and things that I've read, they might have the best defense this year that they've had in quite some time. And so, you know, I sit here and I go, everybody said, well, you know, we can go up there and beat these guys. And maybe they can. I don't know. But I do know this. This is probably going to be the best Iowa State team that you've seen in Ames in a few years. And I think that, uh, you know, our guys understand that. I'm not sure that our fan base does. But I'm – I'm looking forward to seeing a very good football team on Saturday. And, and you know, when, when we had um, we had all four of our non-conference games canceled, we were able to reschedule three of them. We traded McNeese State for Central Arkansas, who's favored to win the Southland Conference. We traded Missouri for Iowa State, and that's a pretty huge upgrade. Yeah. And we traded New Mexico State for UAB, who's won 18 in a row at home, and we got to go there. So with the pandemic, our schedule got a lot tougher. And instead of playing an FCS school in McNeese State for our first game, you're playing Iowa State, have a nice day. And, um, you know, I I think they're going to be – I expect they will be a lot better than the Mississippi State team that we saw at the beginning of last year. And so, you know, the the Cajuns had better hit the ground running because I think Iowa State is a team that if you don't play well – they can come out and do to you what you did to Louisiana Monroe last year. Um, and you don't want that to happen. So, so they're going to have to be ready. They're going to have a game plan, but they have to play well. It, it, they can't just be prepared to play. They have to go out and execute well if they want to have a chance to win the football game. Because I think Iowa State's really good. Yeah, similar feelings here. Uh, Iowa State, the one thing, uh, one critique, I think, under Matt Campbell, they haven't started well. It usually takes them – two or three games to really get the ball rolling. And then, you know, come October, November, they're a better football team. Uh, if they if they play the way they did early last year in that Northern Iowa game, I, I think Iowa State could definitely drop one in, in its season opener. I think that's a real concern up here. Well, uh, Mr. Walker, I appreciate your time more than you know. Uh, it's been a it's been a great couple minutes here talking to you, and we wish you nothing but safe travels on your way to Ames on Saturday and what will be a very unique experience. Um, you know, Jack Tri Stadium. I wish for your sake you could see it when it's rocking with sixty thousand plus and one of the most passionate fan bases in the country. But un- unfortunate, I, I I do feel I say that, but I also feel fortunate that we're going to get a football game on Saturday. So with that, uh, travel safely. All right. 
I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. I, I love to talk about our program, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate it. That is Jay Walker. He is the longtime play-by-play voice of the Raging Cajuns since 1992. Fantastic. Uh, again, Louisiana comes into this game 11-3 and last year, 7-1 and in the Sun Belt, and they were picked to win the Sun Belt Conference. Uh, coming up this year. So a tough season opener coming up for the Cyclones. Hope you guys enjoyed that interview with the longtime play-by-play voice of the Raging Cajuns, Jay Walker, here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network.